Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. I have to slow myself down. See, I'm speaking fast because the trade deadline is fast approaching. Things are already starting to happen. Trades and rumors and what have you. And so, like, my body gets uh, just gets revved up. Uh, and it didn't, it didn't help or hurt, which, depending on your perspective, that perspective when the Cubs had such a thrilling win last night. I mean, that uh, that really jacked me up. I, so I don't know where we want to kick <laughs> things off because obviously we have the Andrew Chafin trade to talk about. We have what's coming next to talk about. Uh, maybe we'll leave those for a minute and we'll talk about the game. You know, we are a Cubs podcast after all, so I think we can afford to discuss some actual baseball uh, performing on this here at the top. So obviously... Thrilling ending to the Cubs, a little mini comeback against the Reds last night, capped off by Javi Baez pulling a Kirk Gibson, coming off the bench. Uh, you know, I'll note, by the way, I'll note. Kirk Gibson. David, David, what is, this is exactly, exact parallel. It's 100%. I'd like to see Javi slam his bat like that in front of Kirk Gibson. That would not have flown. Yeah, I don't know if that would play. But so uh, – yeah, I, I was going to say, I'll note that uh, David Ross did not say, at least that I saw, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, that Javi Baez was, quote, potentially available off the bench. See, that's that's the that's the kiss of death. When he says that, that means you are absolutely not available. Uh, so, obviously, uh, Javi dealing with the bruised heel, probably out of the lineup again tonight, but was able to come in for that very specific pinch hitting opportunity, which... Another, by the way, did you guys notice the same parallel to two years ago when he was dealing with the bruised heel? He sat out a couple days. He came off the bench in a pinch hitting spot with the bases loaded for a walk off against the Phillies. He slapped that one up the right field line. Anybody oh, remember that? Right, right. Spot, I remember that. I didn't remember that that's he was injured or he was had missed some time. Yeah. And I think he couldn't even play the next day yet, but he was able to do that. And obviously the big difference here is that he was facing his arch nemesis in Amir Garrett. <laughs> Uh, so what's your guys' take on, on the game, the excitement, that particular matchup, the fun of it, the bat slam, all that good stuff? I mean, I was just keeping track at home. Patrick was at the game, but, you know, you knew it was going to be a thing the moment he you saw that he was pinch hitting. And I think he was talking, he was jawing with them before he even walked into the batter's box. So that was, yeah. it was just, a, you know, entertaining. I, I think sometimes Amir Garrett go, goes a little too much, but... You know, it, 
I think it's entertaining and it's fun and and that rivalry that they have. I mean, they clearly, you know, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not just all an act for them, right? For us, it's entertainment. And for them, I, I think they genuinely aren't too big of fans of, of each other, especially I'm not sure if there's any love lost between the Cubs and Amir Garrett. But I, I had fun with it. I thought it was entertaining and fun to watch. And, and it was certainly... Uh, certainly something that we'll have to keep track of going forward whenever Javi and Amir Garrett continue to battle. We'll see. I, I think that that storyline's probably not over depending on uh, when they face each other again or when Javi's back in the lineup. Normally I would have or should have been like fixated on the bullpen to see Andrew Chafin walking off, but I followed Javi that whole time and props to – I forgot to look up who the second base umpire was, but he was on it. Like he sprinted in when he saw kind of because Garrett, for the most part, kind of had his head down. It was just like, all right, like right, I'm just going to ignore it. And then Javi just spiked the bat, you know, not quite in his face, but certainly in his proximity. And, you know, this umpire, you know, kind of corralled Garrett, who is a huge dude. I mean, he what like played basketball at St. John's like, um, and kind of helped usher him off the field. But, I mean, like, if anyone had done this to the Cubs, like, Cubs fans and Cubs players would be absolutely beside themselves. I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) Like, I mean, Javi eyeballing Garrett, screaming at him, the little sweeping motion, and then just to slam the bat, like, right, (laughs) not at the pitcher's feet, but like close enough. I mean, come on. Like everyone on Cubs Twitter would be melting down right now until like the next at bat. Like that was absurd. I am hopelessly biased in this situation because my only reaction is that was absolutely perfect what Javi did. There's absolutely no other like, oh, way. That was fun. They almost had a, you know, just an absolute mayhem brawl, which if Kirk Gibson was on the field, yeah. that would have happened. Like Kirk yeah. Gibson well, can you imagine like an, a, a brawl after a walk? Like, Walk off. Maybe Javi never even reaches first base because the because because <laughs> yeah. Garrett charges him as he spikes the bat, which I did love that uh, Wilson Contreras in the process of coming out to you know protect his guy, walk with his guy, also was like pushing him toward first base. Like, don't forget to touch first base here. Let's not have yeah. it be one Wilson, of those. Situations. Wilson, the voice of reason and all this. Yeah. I love it. Like. <laughs> uh, I mean, so like you said, we'll see what happens in both the rest of this series and as these teams play each other later in the year when, you know, I'm not saying they'd be more chippy when there's not something to play for, but I mean, there, there is obviously a history here and it's not just Garrett. I mean, there, there have been, um, I forget who the pitcher was. Was it TJ Antone last year? Yeah. I, I, yep. Who TJ threw Antone. at Rizzo in response to sort of these same kind of dust up stuff. And they were like, nobody chirps more than the Cubs. And I, I think there's just, I think there's beef there that goes beyond Garrett and Baez, even though they are each the most visible of it. And, um, you know, as always, my hope is that there's no physical concerns and that we can just enjoy entertainment like last night. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, so we got into the on-field stuff 
uh, from last night. But obviously there was considerable off-field stuff last night. Indeed, it was going down in the bullpen there at Wrigley Field. Uh, word started breaking around the fifth inning last night that the Cubs were getting close on a trade for Andrew Chafin, multiple national reports, and then ultimately, I think, first confirmed locally by Gordon Whitmire. Got to get, got to give the local love. Uh, correct me if one of you guys had it first, but I don't think you did. You're, you're terrible. Uh, and so, <laughs> Yeah, Ken Rosenthal had it first. <laughs> well, I mean, he had it first at the national level, so I guess I can give that love too. And uh, I believe he also started talking about the return for the Cubs first, which maybe I'll mention that offhand because we should talk about Andrew Chafin. But the Cubs do land a couple prospects who will slot into the top 20-ish in their system, top 15 type guys from a not super loaded A system, but a really solid return for these non-closing, very good rental relievers this time of year. They usually net you something nice, but not necessarily a really impactful return. And I have gone through this and that's one of the better returns that you've seen for a pitcher like Andrew Chafin. And the Cubs reportedly included some money to sweeten the deal. And I think by and large, people are going to be happy with this return because I think it's about the high end of what you could have expected for a rental reliever like Chafin. But the flip side of that, of course, is even in a year where the Cubs aren't going to be competing for a playoff spot, Andrew Chafin was a lot of fun. A lot of fun, endeared himself very quickly to Cubs fans with his happy-go-lucky spirit, obviously his once-in-a-generation mustache, his boat, his failed starter, <laughs> obvious shirt. And every time you'd hear him talk, it's like, oh, he really just is who he is. And, you know, I love people like that. And so I will miss that part. And I, I will certainly be rooting him on with my greatest energy with the athletics. I mean, you make the point that this is a really good return for a non-closing reliever. And the reality is Andrew Chafin was just went through probably three of the best months of his career. I mean, he was on point for three months straight and that doesn't happen that often with him. He gets locked in and he goes on like a month straight of looking like a great high leverage reliever, but three months straight right before the trade deadline, this was kind of a perfect timing for the Cubs for him to go on that stretch. I know Cubs fans love him, but if he was here for three years, I guarantee you they would be frustrated with him and find him maddening because he's like most relievers where he goes in and out, where sometimes he has these really rough stretches where it's just like this guy can't find the zone. A lot of people that know him well and, and uh, followed him with the Diamondbacks said, just get ready to see a lot of one-two counts that all of a sudden lead to like 10 pitch battles because he can't put a guy away and ends up walking them. And that's kind of what happens when he gets kind of out of his rhythm. But he was locked in for three months and the Cubs totally maximized this. I mean, the outfielder is kind of older, right? 26-year-old dude in AAA. Uh, you know, I think that's a little bit of COVID-related stuff there. He probably would have made his big league debut by now if not for a lost season last year. And he seems like an interesting prospect for as interesting as a 26-year-old gets, right? I mean, I don't know if he'll be in the big leagues this year, but certainly next year we'll we'll see him. And, and the pitcher seems like at worst he's got some reliever upside there triple digits heat a nice breaking ball and and with this pitching infrastructure in place right now it seems like they've done a really good job maximizing that type of talent when you have stuff Craig Breslow and company have seemed to find a way to kind of to to you know as long as you're healthy and on the mound they can they can uh, really maximize the, the that skill set and and see what they can do miss some bats and and at least do some high leverage innings uh, down the line I have to admit I was kind of rolling my eyes with like David Ross calling him a culture changer and Kyle Hendricks calling him, you know, just this unbelievable human being. Like I very much respect both of their opinions. Uh, I have no doubt that Chafin's a 
very good dude, but it just seemed like a bit over the top for a guy who showed up for what, like one month in a pandemic last year and then had a good, an outstanding half season and in a season that will be remembered for just an epic collapse and just the end of an era. And so maybe I was being a little too cynical and I, I left Wrigley at the right time. I don't know if anyone saw it on Twitter, but like uh, I believe is Armando Sanchez had these photos of Chafin shortly after one in the morning walking across Waveland from uh, the Cubs office building into the player parking lot. And Chafin, who had walked out with Kimbrel, was actually there chatting with some fans. It looked like he had signed some autographs and, you know, had spent some time and he's like, you know, saying thank you to them and just kind of making small talk to, you know, people who I assume had been uh, at the game. So I think it was just kind of little things like that with Chafin that, you know, in a market like Chicago, I think he really appreciated after playing in a market like Arizona, which simply does not consume baseball on a day-to-day basis the way that Chicago does, uh, that he was a really kind of nice fit here and you know probably a guy if the Cubs weren't entering this phase we'd be talking about trying to like bring him back and stuff like that I just don't really see it because he's probably going to get paid after a really good season here yeah a couple things come to mind on that and obviously he's got the mutual option after this season that will go with him to the A's and we know the drill with those very rarely exercised because it has to be the perfect price point for both sides and I don't don't think that's likely like Patrick said I think Chafin's probably going to pitch himself into uh, a really nice multi-year deal and that probably won't mean a reunion with the Cubs particularly because and he's evidence of this they've they've just been so good at identifying guys like him I mean there's a reason they traded for him last year and then they made him a clear priority re-signing this offseason you'll recall um, up until the very end of the offseason the Cubs had no money to sign anyone it was just sort of a frozen I think they talked about it a different way back then but I think we realized it in hindsight it was just a, a freeze and he was signed for a $3 million deal at a time when it was like, they don't have any money and they're spending $3 million to bring this guy back. Uh, so clearly they knew what he could be. Um, I dig also that, you know, uh, his pitch mix changed a good bit this year with the Cubs. They worked with him more on his sinker and um, he, he pitched a little more to contact than he had in the past and it really worked out well. And so I think that's just further evidence of something that we had seen for multiple years before that was just this ability to identify good relief targets and then work with them to maximize performance. And so I think that's among the reasons that they probably won't spend significant dollars to bring Chafin back for as beloved as he is. Um, the, the other thing that your guys' comments call to mind and that trade is obviously it's it we talked about this last episode it was sort of logistically necessary to kind of start clearing the deck a little bit because you got to start making these moves so that you can not have your own pieces competing with each other for one thing you don't want that and moreover just at a human level you've got to be able to make these decisions in a fluid complex ever-shifting environment where you can't get stuck trying to figure out what you're going to do with chafin when a team is pressing you on chris Bryan. you know so I, i i like that that is done from that perspective but when everyone gets so wistful about Andrew Chafin going out the door it does make you think like good lord what is the rest of this week going to be like um and yeah I don't know and I and I'm someone who's you know obviously I'm, I'm a big fan and I have been a fan but I don't know that I am 
necessarily prepared if like something surprising were to come down the pipe and Javi or Anthony Rizzo gets traded or even if some team gets desperate on a catcher and Wilson Contreras gets traded. Um, I think I'm wholly unprepared for those. And Chris Bryant, you know, I'm getting myself there, but I don't know what that reaction is going to look like across the fan base and in the dugout. And I think the reality of it is sinking in now when you see Chafin traded and you see the reaction and you see the way, like Patrick said, this sort of overly flowery language, flowery language in the clubhouse about his import. It's just, uh, it stops you in your tracks when you think about some of these other guys getting traded. It's going to be an interesting dynamic because I think a lot of people are ready to move on from this group. Uh, but also it's hard to just let go. Even those same people, I think it, it, I can understand the kind of, you know, this uh, mismatch that we're dealing with here where where some people where where people are like, oh, God, I'm so frustrated by this group. They should have done more. But also, oh, no, you can't trade Chris Bryant. Uh, like there's I think those are sometimes I, I know it's not always an overlap. It's not always the same people. But I think a lot of the same people are going to be thinking that. Uh, and I mean, it. It feels like it's, uh, you know, for me, it doesn't it seems like it's a long time coming. So I'm just like, OK, this is this should have been done. We, we should have this team needed a shake up a long time ago. And this is just the end of it. It's all happening at once, it feels like. So maybe that's why it's it's going to be more impactful for the fans and 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 uh and, and it's going to be tougher because it's been so drawn out and it's taken such a long time to happen that and now it's all kind of happening at once and and you've been waiting for this impact and you know when it's coming there's an actual date there like a t- like a clock ticking down for it's almost like it's a deadline of this. even yeah <laughs> some, <laughs> some kind of deadline some of kind sorts. of transaction deadline <laughs> So, uh, so you have that, and and Jed always says, I mean, deadlines force action, right? So uh, you need you need these deadlines to finally make these difficult moves uh, come to fruition. And we're gonna, it's it's the end of an era for sure. It, it's gonna happen, but uh, for me, I, I'm kind of just like this. This needs to happen. We need to move past this, and and we need to like have some something different to <laughs> to talk about, and some something different to write about, and and uh, you know, and I'm sure fans. Uh, I think eventually fans will be like, yeah, we needed something different to watch as well. Like this, especially with this offense. I, I know Chris Bryant's a big piece of it, and and he's not the the problem with the offense, but it just it. It, it gets tough watching this offense and it's the same thing for the past three, four years and same frustrations and it, it needs a shake up and it needs a change. And, and this is just a, another part of it. Yeah. I mean, who wants to see this team together any longer, like a minute longer? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I get the whole narrative of how it's like, Oh, this could be his last at bat. This could be his, you know, uh, you know, last game in a Cubs uniform at Wrigley field. But I mean, the Cubs, today could sign all these guys to market rate extensions and be nowhere close to the team that they want to be right and they wouldn't even have like a great offense if they did that i mean and we're not even talking about like replacing at least 60 percent of the starting rotation for next year so i mean i think javi will stay i think there's still optimism that he might sign a long-term deal at some point that's not like teasing an extension tomorrow or giving him a no trade clause, I just think that's kind of where things stand. I thought it was noteworthy yesterday that a Red Sox pro scout 
suddenly showed up at Wrigley Field, and then we see uh, Jeff Passan saying that the Cubs and Red Sox have at least had preliminary talks about that. I think I'm with you, Brett. Uh, kind of what, what you and on Breacher Nation, it's still kind of hard to see like both sides making it worth their while here uh, on that. But yeah, I mean, Rizzo said it himself the other day. This has been what, like four years of this could be the end. And, you know, last year was, you know, we all watched the last dance together and talked about it on Zoom afterwards. It's like, it's just, it's time to move on, like period. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to speak for all Cubs fans, but you, I will say for me, you both really summed it up well that it's that dichotomy of simultaneously wanting to keep enjoying these individual players. You know, like you think about a Javi Baez and it's like, I love watching Javi Baez. I look at what he did last night and it's like, I want that forever. And at the same time, also knowing, well, if you told me right now, I had the power, you can just bring them all back next year, bring the whole crew exactly back next year. I'd probably say, well, wait, I don't want that. You know, don't don't do that. And so it is that is a difficult balance, I think, for fans to process. And that's probably going to be, uh, I think that's probably going to manifest in some unexpected ways this week as people do try to deal with um, the biggest emotional tumult for them since probably the days after the World Series win. When I do think a lot of fans and families and and people sort of started to I wouldn't call it struggle but like grapple with the idea that the nature of their fandom was going to change so dramatically and it did and it has and it's been a kind of a slow rolling car wreck <laughs> to exactly where we might have thought it would be which was like you live your whole life identifying as a a person who's like I'm I'm waiting for that thing you know I'm someone who just wants that thing and you get that thing and it's like Oh shit. Now what? And I think we real I think we identify so much of both the victory, you know, finally doing it with this group of guys and so there's that really good, but then also that after period of like you said, it's been 4 years of well, this could be it. This could be it. This could be it. And that's not a good feeling. That's not a good association. Like that's the part that I think we want to cast off and be like, okay, give me the next thing. And I think that I, you know, I appreciate just the ability to even talk about it out loud on this podcast because it's helping me process like, okay, oh yeah, I'm going to say that. Oh, I'm going to say that. Oh, I feel that. Uh, Cause you just, you don't know until you're there. And um, I think we're there. I think as as you guys have said and others have reported and reasonable fans can surmise, it isn't just going to be a couple bullpen pieces and Jock Peterson getting traded. I think there are going to be other guys moving on. And then after the trade deadline, I think you're also potentially going to see some guys that don't return, even though they finish out this year. Um, I don't know that even the guys who survived the trade deadline are going to be retained on long-term deals. And um this is that process of, of unringing that. And, and in the meantime, at least you get to enjoy, or I do at least, the new guys coming in, you know, new prospects. Like, I'm a nerd for that stuff. You know, I see I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath on the return last night. And so, yes, kudos and props, Ken Rosenthal, to for dropping the, the initial name and um, getting that ball rolling. I'm like, okay, I'm excited to be excited about prospects. And I think that's that, too, is a period that, we're entering i think did you write that sahadev that like that that's the transitional phase we're in of like doom scrolling about trades but then also like wanting to be like oh brennan davis homered again i'm so hyped about him yeah patrick and i uh 
worked on that piece together. I think that was Patrick's line. It's baseball's circle of, of life, Brett. You know? There it is. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was good. And so actually, let me let me plug to the extent that you folks are getting back into that prospect mode and, and want some of that. Um, you guys had a fantastic just sort of prospect notes roundup piece either yesterday or the day before that... Um, it not only tapped into some of that fun and enthusiasm about the farm system, but also a lot of information that, that I think folks have been waiting on, like Braylon Marquez, his shoulder situation, Miguel Amaya, his forearm situation. Not good news on those, by the way, folks, but you should still check it out. Just randomly, quickly, for for some, something positive for Cubs fans, uh, Brennan Davis gets so much hype in like Cubs fan circles. It's, I think it's important to see national people actually hyping him now too it, it's so easy to overvalue your own prospects uh especially in the cubs world because we i know there's so many bloggers that really focus on that and really go all in on that and it's so easy to be like brennan davis is awesome he's a future superstar and then he's ranked 80th it, it, and like okay so he's a, he's a good prospect but that's not a future star he's in the top 20 in multiple places and even baseball america i think who was probably lowest on him has him in the like pushing the top 30 now that's that's a legit prospect. That's a that's a guy that you know you you, you Cubs fans are gonna want to keep an eye on, and and he should be in Wrigley at some point, you know, in the next year or two, and that that should be fun for them to to experience. Yeah, absolutely. And he will be starting alongside, of course, the impact prospects that the Cubs land later this week. <laughs> uh, so. Speaking of, I believe our plan is uh, we'll be back at you on Thursday this week. That is the day before the trade deadline. And it's even by then. How much sleep will you be on? Yeah, well, so thank you very much. Yeah, I'll be doing my annual 40-hour blogathon uh, in support of Make-A-Wish. Uh, we did get the we got the full uh, amount uh, late yesterday, so I will be committed to the full 40 hours. We'll probably podcast let's see in the afternoon of that day. So I'll really only be on like, it'll be like a normal day, you know, to you guys, except I'll be like extra jacked up on caffeine in the anticipation <laughs> of staying up. So uh, I look forward to that. We always look forward to getting to do this uh, for you folks. Thank you always for listening. This is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at the athletic. Uh, I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. Get their stuff at The Athletic. And, you know, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We appreciate. Follow us on Twitter. Appreciate that, too. And we will talk to you later this week, perhaps with some more trades to deconstruct and or some more existential thoughts on what it all means. Uh, take care and have a great week. <laughs>